This is the Frontier of Finance, the podcast that covers the hottest new funds and important milestones of marquee funds in Canada. On the Frontier, we go directly to the source, interviewing portfolio managers, executives, and sales leaders at the top asset management firms. Stay on top of the latest innovations, react to market trends, and make better investment decisions for your clients. I'm your host, James Rockwood, and I'm welcoming you to the Frontier of Finance. Investing in the fast-moving world of technology has come up on our show in the past, but today I'm excited to zero in on an interesting area of the space by taking a look at real estate technology. While this may sound like two separate industries at first, I promise there's a lot more to real estate technology than meets the eye. It's an integral part of our daily routines, even at this very moment as you listen to this podcast. I'm very glad to welcome back BMO Global Asset Management and one of their partners, Brookfield Asset Management. From Brookfield, I'm joined by Matthew Wenman, Director of Global Real Estate Securities in the Public Securities Group. Joining Matthew is Stuart Reed, Director of Intermediary Distribution for Western Canada at BMO GAM. As a Frontier First, we've got the same group on two weeks in a row. If you'd like to hear more from BMO, don't forget to tune in next week for a chat with the famous Brian Belsky. For now, let's dive into real estate technology. Matt, Stuart, Welcome to the Frontier. Thanks for having us. Thanks, James. Jumping right into it, according to PwC's Global Entertainment and Media Outlook for 2021 to 2025, global data consumption grew more than 30% in 2021 compared to 2019. What were some of the root causes of this explosion in data? So the growth in data demand has been driven by a combination of increased mobile data traffic per device and also an increase in the number of devices overall. So touching on the rise of devices first, a few years ago, we all had one cell phone. 10 years ago, it wasn't even connected to the internet. Today, many of us may have two devices, one for personal use, one for work. You may have a tablet. Your car may be connected to the internet directly. So we've seen a significant increase in the number of devices. And we expect 800 million plus new mobile subscriptions to be added by 2027 on a global basis. Outside of mobile devices, there's also been a huge rise in the number of devices um, that are not mobile that are connected to the network. So if you think of yourself at home, uh, smart homes now have light bulbs connected, light switches, thermostats, garage door openers, uh, your TVs, you have speakers streaming music. All of these devices are consuming data, and we're using all of these devices more often. So the frequency has has risen as well. We hail cabs, we read newspapers, etc., And then the other thing that has happened is the data that we're using is more immersive. Um, So a few years ago, you would have gotten your news about an interview like this by reading the paper or maybe reading a transcript on your phone. Today, it's audio or in some cases, it's video. And all of those are using much greater data, uh, both in terms of bandwidth uh, on mobile towers, but also just overall data consumption. So that's a few of the big drivers of what we would call this mega trend of rising data consumption globally. And there are a few things on the frontier ahead of us, uh, which which are not a reality yet. Uh, One of the big ones, which will be a massive driver of data consumption, is the potential for self-driving cars. And 5G technology is something that's going to likely help enable that. And that's something that could drive significant future growth. And then where's the impact of this data explosion? I think it's one of those things that everybody can feel 
really on a day-to-day basis. If you look at, as you mentioned, the number of devices that you're adding, um, you're purchasing that are connected to something, whether it is, as you mentioned, smart lights, smart watches, wearables, and then obviously all the technology that everything's being facilitated in, especially since the pandemic. Where Where is this explosion being felt and like are specifically around the items that are supporting it, the kind of the baseline infrastructure supporting all this data? Yeah, for us, the two important things are a combination of data centers and communication towers. Um, beyond that, there's also fiber optic networks and other you know, fixed cables, which provide a signal to your home, perhaps, uh, which is a little bit different than how you get data on your mobile device. And all of that equipment is supporting things, whether it be getting the signal or actually processing the data. Uh, so the processing takes place in a data center. The signal gets transmitted via a communication tower or fiber optic cables. And these networks are extremely complicated, as you can imagine, which provides an advantage for some of the larger scale companies which we're investing in. Uh, So we're investing in some of the the biggest telecom providers and the biggest data center companies around the globe. And why scale is important in this is because uh, the end clients or the end tenants, so to speak, want to deal with fewer people. And these larger providers can provide end-to-end solutions uh, for these companies in a much more integrated way than a wide collection of smaller providers would be able to do. Presumably, too, when you're talking about sort of the the massive amount of data and the massive amount of scale that's required, economies of scale probably play a huge role in these businesses as well. They definitely do, both from experience of structuring these networks and choosing the right locations for towers to sourcing all of the materials that you need for building a data center. Uh, Scale is extremely important. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think in that, I'm really excited to talk about a brand new fund that BMO announced at the beginning of March 2022. As we are doing the frontier, we'd love to cover new fund launches as well as significant dates for marquee funds. And so the Brookfield Global Real Estate Tech Fund, which has got a great ticker, Tower, T-O-W-R, which is being offered as both a mutual fund and an ETF. I'd love to talk a bit about, define for the listeners, like what is real estate tech? And then what specifically are you buying when you're investing in real estate tech? So first and foremost, you get the benefits of investing in real estate, which those benefits include inflation protection, low correlation with other asset classes, as well as income generation. And importantly, you get income which grows over time which of course is a big differentiator than many other income sources, uh, such as bond funds, where your income may not grow over time. So within real estate, we're focusing on three sectors which are benefiting from technological advancement and are seeing strong secular tailwinds driving demand, some of those tailwinds we've already talked about. So that's going to be logistics or industrial real estate, which is experiencing a surge in demand as e-commerce penetration continues to rise globally communications real estate and infrastructure, which consists primarily of communication towers, which provide the signal to the mobile networks, which our phones depend on. And then third is the data center sector, which houses the servers, which provide the computing power, which we depend on for an increasing amount of our daily lives. And these companies and assets, which the strategy invests in, provide the real estate and infrastructure needed for a wide variety of tech companies and industries to operate their businesses. So if you think about it uh, you know, from, from some exact examples, these are essential assets for their tenants. 
So Amazon, Walmart, Shopify, any other e-commerce company out there depends on logistics and industrial real estate to fulfill your orders. And then the logistics providers, FedEx, UPS, et cetera, depend on similar real estate to get that package from the, you know, from the warehouse to your front door at home or at the office. Uh, the race for autonomous driving, another huge technology that's, that's ahead of us, will depend on both communication towers as well as data centers. We're seeing a rising adoption of cloud computing. That's driving demand for data centers. And I could go on for, for industry after industry here, but the real takeaway for me is a differentiator of this strategy is that we are going to benefit regardless of who the winner is. So if we think about Netflix as an example, uh, when Disney Plus announced that they would be launching, that was a bad day for Netflix because it was a new competitor. It was a good day for data centers because it was a new tenant. As we think about autonomous driving, whether it's Tesla, Rivian, GM, Waymo, whoever wins that race, or maybe multiple companies win that race, they're all going to need communication towers to get their signal to the, from the car to the computers, and data centers are going to house those servers as well. So this is an interesting differentiator on, on a tech play and a way to get invested in some of these trends without the risk that comes with uh, new competitors coming into play and without some of the volatility. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's really interesting too, including the logistics component and the tech infrastructure. Because when you think about tech infrastructure, typically what you're thinking of is data centers, is you know communication towers. You're not necessarily thinking um, as well about logistics and what's going to support a lot of those services getting their products to customers. So I think that's a really neat addition that isn't necessarily entirely obvious when when as a retail customer you're thinking about what do I think when I think tech infrastructure. And one of the things that we like about industrial does have a little bit of a further tech play behind it is there's a lot of technology in these industrial properties. And what that means as a landlord is that you have a tenant that has invested significant capital into that property, which makes for a very sticky tenant. It makes for very stable and dependable revenue streams because they're not going to pick up and move all of that equipment to a new warehouse across the street for a dollar lower rent. They just can't do it. So that uh, creates some some fantastic, you know, kind of relationship between the the tenant and the landlord that uh, is very exciting as well. And then within that strategy, we'd love to just know. So as you're as you're investing in it, you're really kind of select, I guess, the suppliers of the, the, specifically the real estate supporting these specific industries and these specific services. How do you select who you're investing in? I'd love to know a bit more about that. So we will ultimately be holding a concentrated portfolio of global securities. It will be about 20 to 30 securities on a global basis in these three sectors. And you can think of us or the fund as being the landlord to the tech, telecom, and e-commerce industries. So we have a, a Brookfield as a, as a company has a hundred year history of investing in these types of assets. Our public securities group, which invests purely in listed public securities, has a, a 20 plus year track record investing in these sectors. Uh, we invested in the, the very first data center IPO when it, when it IPO'd 15 plus years ago. So our experience with these sectors is, is significant. And we focus on a bottom-up underwriting. So we are going to invest in companies which we see uh, as having the most attractive valuation uh, combined with the most attractive growth profile. 
So we want to make sure that we never overpay for growth. And we want to make sure that we don't buy things that are cheap just because they're, they're cheap. There needs to be growth there. And as we source our ideas, we're focused on a combination of companies which are largest in the world, which have significant scale. And also, especially in the industrial sector, some companies which are a bit smaller, which have fantastic acquisition and development opportunities. So you can see that in, in the investments that we have, the largest investment in the fund has a, a market cap of $133 billion. The, the smallest is $1.8 billion. So we're really investing across the entire spectrum of market caps to find the best opportunities. If as an advisor, I'm trying to explain the Brookfield Global Real Estate Tech Fund and what it's investing in, is it the data centers? Is it the land underneath? Is it the buildings? What are you actually buying with this product? The first thing to clarify is we're not directly buying any buildings. So we're investing in best-in-class public companies and listed securities. So to give a, a couple examples of companies that, that we would invest in and that are some of the largest and best-in-class uh, companies in each of these sectors, Prologis is the world's largest industrial REIT. Uh, they own over 4,700 buildings. They have 5,800 customers worldwide. And they have more than $2.2 trillion of goods which flow through the company's distribution centers. That's 2.5% of the world's GDP. So this is a company that is at the you know, center of everything that gets done in terms of commerce. And is, of course, benefiting significantly from the growth in e-commerce. Uh, in terms of communications infrastructure, so in industrial, companies would own the, the individual buildings as well as the land under those buildings within the communications infrastructure sector, American Tower is the world's largest owner and developer of communications infrastructure. High barriers to entry in these markets. Um, the company is invested in, holds assets in 25 different companies, has 219,000 communication sites. So for them, primarily what you are owning in most cases is you're owning the structure, the physical structure that a, a communications infrastructure gets mounted to. Um, so the, the actual cell phone signals and the equipment required to transmit that signal is mounted to a tower. Um, you'll see them as you drive around, perhaps now that you know that they're there. And they own those towers. They own the equipment that is at the base of that tower. That's backup generators. It's connections into fiber optic networks to make sure that the signal can get from that tower to the data centers. So again, 219,000 sites worldwide in 25 countries. For the data centers... An interesting thing and important thing to note is that the data center companies own the building, they own the land under that building, and they own all of the kind of important heating and cooling, it's primarily cooling uh, equipment to, to keep that building running. What they don't own is the actual servers. And the reason that's an important distinction is we've all bought a new computer and had it go, you know, three years later, it's, it's not usable anymore, basically, and it's there's technological risk there. Um, so importantly for the data centers, they don't own that server equipment, so they're not taking the hardware risk that comes with that. So Equinix is the world's largest data center company. Uh, they have 3,000 plus cloud and IT service providers that are their tenants. They have 1,800 plus networks, 235 data centers in 27 countries. So this is a, a very large company. The reason that scale can be very important for them is a lot of their tenants, it's important to be in the same building as another tenant. For example, 
Comcast is a, a large telecom company here in the U.S. I can stream Netflix directly through my Comcast set-top box. It's important for them to be located in the same building so that they can work with e- each other on making that technology work. And what enables that is what's called an interconnection, which is a cable going to the two uh, different servers. And Equinix has over 400,000 interconnections, which they provide to their tenants. So massive scale in this company. Again, you're owning the building. That building is uh, located in a position where it has connections to fiber optic networks. So location is very important. And the sourcing of power is also a very important piece. Equinix is actually committed to sourcing 100% clean and renewable energy, which we think is also a a fantastic move for the company um, as carbon neutrality and carbon reduction is going to be extremely important for the world over the next few years. But it's something that tenants are increasingly demanding from their data center providers as well. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and, and definitely helps differentiate real estate from the real estate tech fund and exactly what you're getting. So I think that'll be super helpful for retail investors as they're trying to understand this product better. Do you think as, as people are looking as this at this, this play or this thematic sort of investment that do you expect the real estate to have the same level of return as the data centers and the companies that own sort of the technology on top of the real estate? How would you think about that? Is it going to have a muted version? So if there's a data center and the company is growing 10%, would you expect the real estate to follow it? How correlated would you say those two performances are? It's a tricky one to answer because there's a difference between an individual company that may be a winner and the industry as a whole. And you know the, the tricky thing investing in tech is sometimes picking the right winner. And video conferencing is an example of going into the pandemic most of us had never heard of Zoom, and Zoom ended up being the winner of the, the teleconferencing play, and everybody else was, was playing catch-up. So picking that right teleconferencing investment going into the pandemic would have been difficult, but data centers as a whole benefited significantly. So we will probably lag behind the best-performing technology investments, uh, but we will do it with very stable income, stable income growth, and importantly, a low correlation to broader equities. And then how would a retail investor benefit from investing in this kind of alternative investment or versus traditional sort of more standard stock type or mutual fund type equity driven classical portfolios and funds? Yeah, uh, the biggest benefits are going to be current income, inflation protection and diversification. And importantly, you get all of these things with equity level returns. Um, So if we think back to asset allocation a decade ago, all that was ever talked about was equities or bonds. And those were the the two levers that people had to pull. And now we have an entire universe of of alternative investments, which are designed to provide equity-like returns with low correlation. So you can get the diversification benefit that we looked for in bonds and the downside protection but you can get equity level returns with that diversification. So that's a, a big part of it for us. Um, the investments and the funds are, are holding are yielding about 2%. So it's a, a modest dividend. It's not the biggest one out there, but importantly, we're going to experience high single digit growth in that dividend. So the income you're getting is going to outpace inflation. And you know, I talked about correlation earlier to put some numbers behind it. 
Over the past seven years, these sectors have had a correlation of just 0.54 with the S&P 500, 0.52 with the MSCI world, and 0.52 with corporate bonds. So, you know, your other major asset classes, we have low correlations to, to all three of those. And we've had a downside capture of about 35% relative to the MSCI world. Um, so that's a, a very important protection to a broader portfolio as well. And then if I'm an advisor trying to construct a portfolio, how do I want to think about this from a product perspective? Is it going to be a core? Is it going to be a satellite from a position perspective, given it's got the low correlation between equities and fixed income? What would I want to think about it in my mind, building out a portfolio? Yeah, as you're building out a portfolio, it, it probably works best as a satellite and not a, a truly core holding. This depends on your definition of core and, and what size that is. But this is a concentrated portfolio and 20 to 30 securities, uh, it should probably not be the absolute largest holding in your portfolio, depending on your risk profile, of course. So it's, it's always hard to generalize these things. But I think some of the investors that are, are going to really be drawn to this are those which already have an allocation to real assets or to real estate. And this can be a very complementary allocation to what you already have. And one of the reasons it's very complementary is these specific industries or these, these sectors within real estate are often underrepresented in many of the other real estate funds out there, whether it be an, an open-ended fund or a closed-end fund or private vehicle. Those vehicles are usually invested primarily in office, residential, retail, hotels. Maybe they have some industrial, um, but they rarely have data centers and they rarely have towers. Because the scale is so important in those businesses, it's tough for those funds to get exposure to those two asset classes. So there will be very little overlap in this investment with the allocations that many investors already have. That makes a ton of sense. And then as you're thinking through the type of advisor, or sorry, the type of retail customer who would want this type of product, potentially somebody who's already in um, real investments, as well as potentially people with a tech preference or who are looking for additional exposure to tech, given the underlying um, securities here and given the, the way you're really picking it, if somebody's big on tech, this could potentially be another way to give them access to that without necessarily just picking the FANG type stocks. Yeah, and it works especially well for an investor that's interested in tech and likes the trends, but is concerned about the price that they have to pay or the valuations. And our valuations are at much more reasonable levels, and they're they're valued as assets, not as operating growth companies where you're valued on a multiple of revenue, not a, a multiple of profits. We have profits, and we have earnings which are distributable to shareholders, and which can be reinvested in additional assets, acquisitions, and developments, which is a differentiator as well. That's really good. I think this going to be a really clear way for advisors as they're thinking, you know, what type of client am I looking for? Who do I want to think about? And then how do I want to place this in a portfolio? That's going to be incredibly helpful guidance for, for them as they're just trying to think through how to approach a product like this. So then how is BMO and Brookfield expecting the global real estate tech fund to perform differently from some of BMO's other alternative solutions? Thanks, James. That's an interesting question. And when we look at our partnership with Brookfield, we get to partner with one of the world-class leading asset managers in a particular space, and we like to source managers for Canadian advisors and their clients. 
when we look at our other alternative suites, which is a growing suite of products, this is very focused in this area and provides unique access. So it's very differentiated from our other alternative strategies and very complementary. As Matt has pointed out, he's got uh, a playbook here that can really help people get a well-priced, well-valued uh, security set. That's really helpful. And then how does this all come together in terms of yield and growth and what could an investor expect? The securities in the portfolio are currently yielding just over 2% with, as we've mentioned a couple of times, dividends that are growing over time. We're expecting dividend growth of about 9% this year. And our base assumption for overall returns is in the range of 10 to 12% over the course of a full cycle. That's driven by a combination of internal growth from assets that companies already own. It's the growth in rent or the, the increase in occupancy of those assets, as well as growth from acquisitions and developments, which is a very important driver for many of these companies. There is certainly a bull case out there that would drive those return forecasts much higher. Um, so they could easily move up to 15% if we see a continued acceleration of data consumption and of demand for all of these sectors, or if we see some data or rather technological advancement um, that could really drive things higher. So as an example, a big thing coming right now is 5G and 5G networks are being rolled out around the world. And a big differentiator in 5G versus 4G is the signal is of course faster, but what comes with that faster signal and faster download speeds is a signal that doesn't go as far. So what that means is you need more equipment, you need more towers, you need small cells, which are, are a smaller version of towers that end up getting put on top of street light, lights and similar things. And if we see a huge adoption in that 5G technology, it's going to be a huge spend for the telecom industry. Um, that is going to benefit the tower companies that we're invested in because these tower assets are, are hard to build. Municipalities don't like to approve them. There's already one that can be used. They push all the tenants onto that existing one. And why that's great for the companies that we're invested in is going from one tenant to two tenants to three tenants significantly increases your operating margins. And the opportunity to see that happen is the greatest in some of the international markets where a lot of the telecom players owned their own towers. Uh, so they only had one tenant. They've sold those towers into public markets where, where the new owners are putting two and three tenants on those towers. So if this technology sees rapid adoption, that could significantly increase for example, returns in the tower sector. So base case, 10 to 12%, but there's certainly a bull case out there that uh, could drive those return expectations a lot higher for any of these individual sectors. That's really fascinating. I think that's going to be a really helpful example as a financial advisor is trying to explain this to a retail customer, trying to make it make sense to them as far as what am I buying? How do I understand the products that we're investing in or the companies that we're investing in and the purpose of them? That use case alone, I think, is going to be really helpful to connect people to the fund and the products and the companies that you're investing in through that. So I think that's a really, really awesome summary and a really awesome use case that advisors can reference as they're trying to explain this product to the retail customers. Well, look, thank you so much for coming by today, Matt and Stuart. Really appreciate the opportunity to connect and talk about this product. Really exciting because it's so new. And uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with it. It's a neat industry. It's a neat play on it. I think it's a really interesting way to get exposure 
and to bet on the tech boom and the data boom that's happening right now. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, James. Real estate technology is a fascinating investment solution and a great opportunity to engage with your client about what makes this fund unique. Separately, real estate and technology might seem simple to understand, but putting them together creates a new term that investors might be unfamiliar with. This goes to show how important it is to actively involve your clients in conversations about asset types they've not had exposure to. To learn more about BMO GAN's alternative investment strategies, including the BMO Brookfield Global Real Estate Tech Fund, click on the link in our show notes. Once again, I'd like to thank Matthew and Stuart for joining me today on the show. Next Wednesday, we're welcoming Brian Belsky, BMO GAM's Chief Investment Strategist to the Frontier for a great conversation about U.S. equity solutions. To be sure not to miss it, follow or subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, drop us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening.